The ninth commandment reads, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And the brief exposition of it you find in Lord's Day 43. What is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's word. That I be no backbiter, nor slanderer. That I do not judge, nor join in condemning any man rashly on unheard. Uh, but uh, that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, uh, that in judgment and in all of the dealings I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. We must remember, beloved, that the law of God is one. One in principle. And that the principle of that law of God is love. And that love of God, that love of the law, is not two, but is one. The principle of the law is the same in the first and second table of the law, of the law, not two. In other words, uh, the love of God is the principle of the whole law. And the love of the neighbor is strictly subordinate to that one principle. It is not so that we love God and the neighbor, but uh, that we love God and the neighbor for God's sake. That also limits strictly the principle of love of the neighbor and even limits the neighbor in a certain sense. There are two kinds of neighbors and they're still neighbors. There is one neighbor that we love with the love of communion. Uh, there is another neighbor uh, that we love with the love of the hatred of God. Must not uh, fail to distinguish that. We can uh, love our enemies, but we can kiss him, can embrace him, can't have communion with him, and we certainly have to hate those that hate God. And that hatred is the love of God maybe sounding a little paradoxical but we show the love of God to those that hate God and not by telling them how much we love but by pronouncing and preaching the wrath of God to him. 
That's true love. True love. True love of those that hate God. Those two, that, that two kind of neighbors we must clearly distinguish, of course. And, beloved, one more remark. The second table of the law makes mention of the love of the neighbor in various positions and in various relationships. We must love the neighbor in his position of authority, the fifth commandment. We must love the neighbor in his, in his person and life, the sixth commandment. We must love the neighbor in his most intimate relationship, the seventh commandment. We must love the neighbor in his goods over which he is steward, the eighth commandment. And we must love the neighbor in his name, the ninth commandment. Those different relationships undoubtedly cover the whole the whole of our life in the world in relation to the neighbor. Now, this ninth commandment, beloved, cuts very deep, deeply, I should say. Cuts very deeply. It's not easy to preach on this ninth commandment. not easy for you to hear it unless you love God and you do in principle. I, I was speaking to an audience of natural men. I wouldn't dare to preach. Couldn't preach. But I'm not preaching to natural men. I'm preaching to the Church of Jesus Christ. That's why I have courage and hope. You must convert yourself. You and I are all liars. Doesn't sound so very nice, but it's true. You lie. I'm a liar. You're a liar. That's not very nice, is it? But it's the truth. It is one of the most dirty, one of the most foul aspects of our own nature upon which this ninth commandment lays its finger without mercy. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not slander. Thou shalt not speak evil. Thou shalt not backbite. Thou shalt not sit at a tea party and rake the neighbor of the coals. Thou shalt not be hypocrite. Thou 
Thou shalt not embrace thy brother and sister and say to him, Oh, I'm glad to see see you, and don't mean it. That's the foul aspect of our own nature. There's not one of us here that is not guilty. And therefore, convert yourself. That's what I say to you and to me. And walk in the way of God's precepts. Also in regard to this commandment. I'll be very brief. I've said most of my sermon almost. I'm not very well prepared to elaborate it on in any way. But I'll speak to you on this ninth commandment. And first of all, I speak on the underlying truth of this commandment. The underlying truth. In the second place, on its violation in various forms. In the third place, on its positive principle or demand. The underlying truth, beloved, is twofold. It is, in the first place, the truth uh, that the neighbor, as well as we ourselves, has a name, has a name. And in the second place, that we must love that neighbor in his name. As well as we love our own name and love ourselves in our name. And therefore I must say a few words about that name of the neighbor and of ourselves. You know, we must love the neighbor as ourselves. Must not love him more or less just because we love the neighbor for God's sake, we must love ourselves for God's sake. We cannot love the neighbor above ourselves. We stand on the same plane before God, and we must love the neighbor as ourselves, not more, not less, but on the same plane. The name of someone in the sense in which I speak of it here, is his reputation. That's his name, his reputation. I do not mean the name Smith or Jones or Charlie or John or so, but I mean, I mean the name in the sense of his reputation. The... Uh, uh, that which is reflected in someone else's mind of the neighbor. Uh, that which is manifest of him and is known of him or is at least reputed of him. That's his name. You can have a name and a different the uh, sense of the word. Speak of a name in various senses. You can speak of a name as the reputation concerning a man's moral character. Then you say 
uh, that is a good man, or that is a bad man. And that, of course, in various relationships, as father, a mother, as wife, or husband, as child, as minister, as teacher, as elder, as deacon, that man has a reputation, and as far as his moral character is concerned, you say that man is a bad father, or a good father. He is a bad husband, or a good husband, and so on. A good minister, or a bad minister, morally. That's his name. A reputation. And even apart from that moral name, a man has a name in regard to his ability. Nothing to do with his moral character. But still has a name. Then you say, for instance, that man is an able man, or he's not able. He's an able carpenter, an able plasterer, an able painter, an able teacher, an able minister, an able lawyer, able, able. He may still be a bad man, but he's able. Or he's not able. Don't you see? That's a man's name. A man's reputation. And one more thing. Uh, that uh, man's name is either his official reputation or his private reputation. As if a man is bad, officially you say that man is a criminal. Is he, if he is bad unofficially, you simply say, well, that's a bad man. Or a good man makes a difference. The official name of someone is determined by the census of the judge in judgment. And this uh, ninth commandment also has to do with that. Thou shalt bear no false witness against thy neighbor in judgment. Whether it's the judgment of the church or the judgment of the worldly court. Now, beloved, uh, we must uh, value that name. And I hope we do. Uh, there are some people uh, that claim or that pretend that they do not care for their name. I don't care they say what anybody says about me. Doesn't hurt me. I'm above those things. That's wrong. That's wrong. It isn't true anyway. Not very likely. Uh, but if it is true, uh, the man assumes a wrong attitude before God over against his own name. It's proper to value your name, beloved, among men and before God. That's proper. In other words, it is proper to have a proper self-respect. 
I say proper self-respect. That's proper. The proper self-respect is love of your own name for God's sake. And you must, you must have that proper self-respect. That's not pride. Pride is something else. A man can be proud too. Be conceited about his own name. That means, of course, beloved, that he is concerned about his own name for his own name's sake, not for God's sake. That's pride. That's conceit. That's sin. Cause that sin. But if we have proper self-respect, we love our own name for God's sake. And in order to be able to occupy the place which God gives us in the world and in the church. Don't you see? If a man loses his reputation, uh, his name, he also loses his place in the world. That stands the reason. Makes it impossible. If a man loses his moral reputation so that people say of him he's bad, he's corrupt, he cannot get a job or a position. If a man loses his secular reputation and they say he's a poor stick, he cannot get a place either. And therefore, if as people of God for God's sake, we would glorify our Father which is in heaven through our name and glorify our Father which is in heaven in the very position which we must occupy in the world. We must have proper self-respect and love our own name and in that same sense love the name and have respect for the name of the neighbor of the brother and of the neighbor and the wider sense. And now uh, a few words about the neighbor, beloved. They are not out of place. Uh, by neighbor we mean Oh, of course, in a certain sense, we mean all men. All men are our neighbors. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean very much. It's nice to say, I'm a neighbor of all men. All men are my neighbors. Uh, but uh, that is, in a way, very poor philosophy. It's true, the Chinese are our neighbors, and the Japanese are our neighbors, and the Russians are our neighbors, and so on and so forth, but uh, that makes it too easy. Uh, then we can easily love the neighbor and love the name of the neighbor. Uh, then we can also love... Uh, and that especially love the one that is dead. The neighbor that is dead, that he is very easy to love. And no matter how much you have disliked or hated a man in his life, you, you love him when he's dead. And you all rate about him at the funeral sermons. Anyway, that's what the world does. The world has even a proverb which in Latin reads de motuis non nisi bonum. That means you must say nothing good, uh, uh, nothing uh, bad about the dead. Nothing but good about the, bad, about the dead. Well, that's very nice. 
up, beloved. Your neighbor is the man that crosses your path. That's your neighbor. He is your brother grocer across the street. Uh, that is in the same business with you. That's the neighbor. He is your brother teacher in the same school with you. He is your brother elder in the same seat with you. Or your brother Dickon in the same bench. He is the man that has a name, even as you have a name, and that crosses your path repeatedly. A name that conflicts with your name, that competes with your name. A name, perhaps, that overshadows your name. That's possible, too. Your neighbor may be a better man than you are. He may have a better name than you are. That you have. That's possible. Well, that's your neighbor. You meet him everywhere. It crosses your path. That's your neighbor. And that neighbor has a name, even as you have a name. And now it is your calling, according to the ninth commandment, to love that name of that neighbor, and never to attack that name. You must not attack the name of the neighbor. Love it. Uh, love it, beloved. Love, don't, uh, don't, uh, make uh, that word have a sentimental sound. You know, we speak so much of love nowadays. That's cocky love. I must never think of it. Don't you know? The love uh, has always to do with the truth. You cannot love except in the truth. Love is not a sentiment. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is strong. Love is strong, beloved, strong, powerful. Love is a matter of the will, not of the feeling, not of the emotion. And therefore, it is always a love of the truth. Don't ever say, oh, oh, let's love, let's love, regardless of the truth. That's nonsense. And there you can love everybody. I can't. They can love the lie. I can't. You can't either. Not principally. They can love the devil. And the works of the devil. You mean? You mean? That's, pos that's impossible. And therefore, love, in the sense in which, I, in which this, uh, uh, the law speaks of, concerning the neighbor is principally respect. Respect. Respect of God in the neighbor. Esteem of God in the neighbor. And if possible, fellowship. Fellowship with the love of God and the truth with the neighbor. That's love. Well, now you must love the neighbor in his name, no matter 
what that name may be to you and to others, but whatever it is, you must love the name of the neighbor, not attack him, not attack his name. Uh, that, of course, is the narrowest sense in which this commandment is violated. This commandment in its narrowest sense means uh, thou shalt not attack the name of the neighbor in its very narrowest sense. It means uh, thou shalt not attack the name of the neighbor officially in judgment. Thou shalt not bear false testimony and judgment against thy neighbor. That is the narrowest meaning of this commandment. In a somewhat broader sense, it means that we shall not attack the name of the neighbor at all. In no sense, we shall not attack him. And, beloved, I do not have to elaborate on this idea of the commandment. I hope here, of course, as I said, I touch upon the very sore spot in your own nature. A very foul, foul, dirty spot of which every one of you, as well as I, am, is guilty. No one accepted. How easy, how easy we wag our tongue that's easy, beloved, oh, that's so easy, how easy, easily. We attack the neighbor's name, the brother's name, whether officially in judgment or unofficially in general conversation. Do we not? Very easily. Oh, it's so easy, beloved, because... Uh, you cannot really uh, inflict punishment upon one that so wags his tongue. It's so easy to wag a tongue, much easier than uh, to use the sword and kill the neighbor, although it's the same thing. The catechism, of course, the root, the root of this uh, evil is, in general, hatred, hatred of the neighbor. We must never say, beloved, that we love one, that we love the neighbor, and that we love the brother if uh, we wag our tongue against him. That's not so. All talking about the neighbor in order to attack his name is rooted in hatred. No matter who it is, that's rooted in hatred. Hatred, of course, in all kinds of various uh, shades, such as envy. Ahab hated Naboth because he was envious of his vineyard. So you may probably hate your neighbor in envy because you want his position, because you want part of his money, because you want his business. Whatever it is, make no difference at all. Envy, pale green 
envy. That's one side of hatred. And then there is hatred in the form of revenge. Someone has hurt you or you think that he has hurt you and you want to take revenge. Pale revenge. Hatred, beloved. And so on and so forth. Hatred. Hatred is the root of all evil wagging of your tongue. Don't you forget it. Don't ever say that you love your neighbor if you wag your tongue against him. That's not true. You, you're an enemy. And uh, that uh, wagging of your tongue assumes all kinds of different forms, of course. The Gattagas mentions that. You can, you can read it when you're at home. Read it again. There is, of course, the official testimony. You want to win your case or you want to excuse yourself in judgment and you slander the neighbor and give him an officially bad name in testimony either before the world or before the church. Slander. In the second place, there is the very common evil of judging a man unheard. Again, whether officially as it is so often done in the church. That was in 1924, as you all know. A man, don't you forget it, a man that is condemned or a man that is accused must have every possible opportunity to be heard. And not to be heard is a great evil. We were, we were in 1924, we were. Great evil. That's often the case in the church. Shame on the church. And then... And that is very closely connected with that former way or mode of wagging your tongue in an evil way. That is the evil of backbiting and slander. Oh, that's so easy. Really the same, beloved, with this difference that backbiting it may be true. Slander is always a lie. Slander besmears the name of the neighbor lyingly. Backbiting may be true, but is nevertheless speaking the truth in order to hurt the name of the neighbor behind his back. That's backbiting. Don't ever excuse yourself for speaking evil about your neighbor behind his back. Whether it's true or not. No matter who, not me either, nor are you. Remember that. That's the very works of the devil. That's all your own nature. Put it off. Convert yourself. That I say to you, and I say to myself, convert yourself. That's preaching responsibility, if you please. You talk so much about responsibility, but that's responsibility. That's your responsibility to convert yourself from your lying tongue and your evil wagging tongue. And I, myself, I'm not excluding myself. I'm judging my own old man as well as yours. But take it. 
as the word of God and turn from your evil way. And of course, in the broader sense, this commandment speaks of all lying. In the broader sense, lying. Oh, there is in this imperfect world such a thing as lying by mistake. But that's not such a, that's sin too. I think that's sin too before God, objectively. Even when you make a mistake in arithmetic, even that is sin, don't you worry. God does not like mistakes in arithmetic and mathematics or in logic. Don't you ever think so? But, nevertheless, uh, such a lie is beyond uh, the uh, limited sphere of your knowledge and of your uh, responsibility. But especially ethical lying. Lying, beloved, that consists in this, uh, that you know the truth and that you deliberately distort the truth. That's ethical lying. That's very wicked. The possibility of that, the possibility of doing such a thing lies in our imagination. God has given us the power of imagination. And because of that power of imagination, we can imagine a thing that does not exist, or we can imagine the very opposite of that which does exist. We know the truth, and we don't like the truth, we hate the truth for some reason or other, and we imagine the very opposite. That's imagination. You must be very careful there with children. Children do not always lie when they seem to lie. Children have a very strong imagination. Uh, they sometimes uh, tell you things uh, that they think are true uh, and nevertheless are simply imagination. You must be very careful there. You must educate your children but not uh, uh, judge them wrongly. Children do not always distinguish between imagination, images of imagination, and uh, reality. They don't. You must find that out and teach them to make such a distinction. But, beloved, ethical lying is the deliberate attempt to uh, distort the truth, the objective truth, uh, in such a way that it is altogether different from uh, that truth so that it is the lie. Also there, there are all kinds of motives. Uh, some people lie because they're ashamed. False shame. False shame. We often do that, don't do we not? False shame. We've done something wrong. We do not want to confess it. We're ashamed of it. And we lie. We say we didn't do it. That's also our children. Our children must be taught that they speak the truth when they sin. You must tell them that and impress that upon their minds at a very early age. And then there is a lie. Well, in a way, that's a lie that I like best of all. Yeah, I would, I shouldn't say like, of course. But in a way, I do. I like, I like a certain lie. Uh, some lies I like better than the truth. Uh, I shouldn't say that either. Let me correct that. Some lies I like better than some speaking of the truth. I do. It's wrong, but uh, there's difference in this central world. I mean, for instance, the lie of Rahab. Rahab. She lied. But I like that woman. 
She deceived the spies. A married and said, oh, you must go there, there. Uh, they, they, they were here, but they left those spies. I like that. That's a lie, but I like it. It's wrong, but not so very wrong, beloved. It's not ethically wrong. I know Rahab should have said, oh, Lord, I trust in thee. I'll tell him the truth. And whatever becomes of it, that's all right. Uh, that's all right. But uh, nevertheless, I, I like that lie of Rahab. I like that better than uh, speaking the truth in an evil way, beloved. You know, you can speak the truth and rake the brother of the cold. That's not very nice. That's evil. Much more evil than the lie of Rahab. Then you love him. Of course, there are all kinds of lies. I have no time to mention them all. One of the very common lies in the world is the conventional lie. Conventional lie. You, somebody comes by your door and uh, behind the door you say to your wife, oh, there comes that fellow again. You open the door and say, glad to see you. Glad to see you. Come in, come in. That's abominable in the sight of God. Abominable. Abomination. All lying, no matter what, is an abomination to the Lord, beloved. And therefore, for I must quit, The positive, the positive preaching of this commandment is this. Speak the truth in love. Not speak the truth. That's possible. It's possible, as I said, to speak the truth in hatred. That's not what scripture teaches us. You know, I know someone that in uh, uh, was very Dutch, in uh, the Dutch language he used to say, Ik heb hem de kast uitgeveegd. I cleaned out his closet. He meant, he meant to say, I raked him over the coal. He thought that was very, very good and very proper. Uh, beloved, that is not the idea. You must speak the truth. Yes, you must always speak the truth. But you must speak the truth in love. That's the principle. You must speak the truth in love to God. And love to the brother. Otherwise you better keep still and say nothing. Until you can speak the truth in love. That's a good rule. It's a good rule. Let me warn you, when you're about to wag your tongue over against the brother or in company, whether you are about to wag your tongue, then you better say to your tongue, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I, am I going to speak in love? If not, then you better not say anything at all. Keep still. Go home first. Get on your knees and say, oh Lord, I'm so very, very, very wicked, so corrupt, such a liar, such a slanderer, such a backbatter, such a hatred of thee and of my brother. Please deliver me and turn me. That I may be turned. That is Christian, beloved. And we dare have need of it. We have need of it, beloved. Oh, there is forgiveness. That's one good thing. Forgiveness 
of all sin and the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Even of this terrible sin of slander and backbiting and evil tongue. Forgive me. If you repent and confess your sin, there is forgiveness. God is faithful to forgive you sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what is more, there is in the power and blood and spirit of Jesus Christ deliverance. Deliverance from sin. So that we are in principle lovers of the truth. Lovers of the truth and lovers of God and lovers of one another. That principle must reign, beloved. It must reign in the church. It must reign in your heart. Would to God it were reigning in the church of Jesus Christ. But remember, to have that principle reign, you must be constantly on the watch. Watch and pray because there is but a small beginning of that new obedience in you and in me. And the biggest part of us, biggest part of us is liars. Though principally we are delivered from the power of the lie. Nevertheless, there is but a small beginning. And we must watch and we must fight. Fight because not only we have but a small beginning, but also because we're living in a lying world. It's so easy to lie because, beloved. Now you have enough. Take it home. Let me take it home. Let us turn. Put off the old man. And put on the new man. And walk in love of the truth. And love of one another. Amen. We thank thee Lord. For thy word. Which is always true and sure. And converting the soul. Let thy word, as we heard in this morning hour, convert the soul. That we may walk in truth and in love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit abide with you. Amen.